Good morning. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, that's what Jesus does. He's just into changing lives. And if you haven't made that step of maybe uh, making Jesus Lord and Savior of your life, I mean, Jesus, he saves us. And that's, that's beautiful. What was beautiful, first service, we had the baptism. And that's something that Jesus uh, commanded. He wanted us uh, to be baptized. And another thing that Jesus wanted us to do was to remember him and his sacrifice. And so this morning we're going to talk about communion. Uh, Chris emailed me and said, hey, would you like to talk about the bread? And I thought, well, yeah, I love bread. You know, I'm a bread guy. You know, my older sister used to have this album in the 70s. Bread. And I used to sit and listen to that for hours. And if you're old enough, you might remember that. They had a lot of, I don't know, soft rock. You know, if a picture paints a thousand words, why can't I paint you? Um, Woo! Tough. When we also talk about bread, we also talk about, you know, in our society where we go, hey man, you got any bread? You know, would you like, you know, I don't have any dough. You know, we use bread to symbolize money. But in the Old Testament, uh, the children of Israel knew bread really well. They, uh, they had a history with bread. Uh, you might say, um, uh, they lived on it. And so when they were in Egypt for 400 years in slavery, uh, God had to rescue them. And God did that through Moses and with a lot of plagues. And one of the plagues, the children of Israel uh, had, to, had to go through was the, the, the uh, firstborn, the uh, killing of the firstborn. The angel of death was going to pass over Egypt and we're going to take the firstborn. Unless, unless you took a lamb and you slaughtered it, took the blood and put it over your doorposts and then the angel of death would pass over your house and you were saved. Well, when that happened, Pharaoh said, get out of here. And the children of Israel packed up in haste and they left. They went right for the desert because that's exactly where you go when you're trying to get away, right? To the desert. So you got millions of people in the desert and uh, they didn't have much to eat. But God provided. He brought manna from heaven. They collected it in the morning. They ground it and they made their bread with it. It only lasted one day, and they were reliant on God every day for this manna, a provision. Now, in my life, bread's been very significant. Um, And it's kind of a weird connection, but my grandfather was a a, uh, dairy farmer through the Depression. And uh, he had this dairy farm. He had seven children. And uh, life was tough. Uh, life got tougher, though. Um, my grandmother passed away giving childbirth, in childbirth, giving birth uh, to my uncle. Left my mom at eight years old without a mother. Uh, left my grandfather without a helpmate to run this farm to care for all these little ones. Uh, so everybody had to step up. Everybody in the family did step up. Uh, my uncles did the chores. And all the girls in the family, you know, helped in, in, in the kitchen. Uh, 
But there was one duty that my father, or my grandfather, did that I found kind of weird that I didn't connect with till I was older. He was the bread maker of the family. And so making bread for that many people demanded a big bread maker. So this was his bread maker right here. This is, this is the only thing I have of my grandfather's right here. And this is, um, makes six loaves, six two-pound loaves of bread. So it's got a, it, it, it does a pretty good job. It's got an old stir, and you put the stuff in, and it takes, it takes quite a bit to, to make this bread. So this is what he left of me. So I like making bread. In fact, I made some yesterday morning. Saturday mornings is usually my bread time. So when my wife and I were first dating, I wanted to give her a gift. And I thought, flowers, that's... I'm going to give her a part of my heritage, part of me, which was bread. And... uh she took it graciously, and she said, oh, okay. It was only a few years later she revealed to me that she didn't really like the smell of baking bread in a house. And I'm like, ah, you know, I'm like, ah. That was, I thought that was going to be a game changer, but it wasn't. Thank you for staying with me. So, so Jesus takes this bread. And bread shows up in the New Testament quite a bit. In fact... When Jesus was tempted in the desert by Satan, he took stones. Jesus, or Satan said, take these stones and change them to bread. Now, Jesus was pretty strong. He was pretty hungry. I don't know whether I would have been able to hold off on that, that uh, miracle. Um, but as we go into communion today, um, Paul reminded us in 1 Corinthians about what the communion celebration was about. Because the Corinthians had lost kind of their perspective on what communion was about. They changed it into this feast, and some people had a little bit too much to drink. And some people ate too much and didn't leave food for others. So Jesus told Paul, because Paul says that in 1 Corinthians, I'm only passing on to you what Jesus told me. And he said, on the night he was betrayed, on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he thanked the Lord and he broke it. And he said, take and eat this in remembrance of me. So earlier in the New Testament, Jesus had, had, had fed 4,000 people and he did it with bread. He multiplied. He was the ultimate bread maker. He did it to the 5,000 as well. In fact, when the disciples said, hey, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. We are to be dependent on the Lord daily for our sustenance. And I don't know whether Jesus was talking about bread in that sense. I think he was talking about, you need to be reliant on the Lord alone. And so, as we, as we look at this bread, and I, I baked While I was baking bread, I went, you know what? What is that unleavened bread about? See, the children of Israel did not have a chance to let the yeast rise this bread up. It would have been nice and mounded and bubbly on the inside and all soft. This is what they had. This is what, what they left. And so, 
So the Last Supper, what we call the Last Supper, was really the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's what they were celebrating, that, 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 that Passover of the uh, uh, angel of death and how that unleavened bread was eaten. And so they were commemorating that, but Jesus changed all of that. Jesus said, after he, after he fed the 4,000 and the 5,000, he said, I am the bread of life. I am the manna that the Lord brought down from heaven. And so Jesus was saying, I am this bread that's going to sustain you. And that's just amazing as he stood there and he thanked the Lord and he broke that bread. And he said, this is my body that's going to be broken for you. Now the disciples sat there and probably went, don't know what you're talking about. I, that's over our head. And, uh, but Jesus uh, made that symbol and then later I think the disciples went, oh, it's all connecting. So this week in Gospel Fluency, If you noticed, it talked about when you eat, when you eat, do something that animals don't have that ability to do, is to savor and to taste and to reflect. My dog, when I feed him nice steak, he gulps it. He doesn't even taste it. And I go, you didn't even enjoy it. But God gave us the ability to reflect when we eat and to taste and enjoy and, and to remember his provision. So, the Last Supper, Jesus said, I am the bread and this is my body that is broken. So this morning, as you take the bread and you slow down and you savor it and you think about Jesus' body that was broken for you, And he said to do this in remembrance of me. Carrie, I'm just so so impressed with your with your work there. You know, Carrie and 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 I were asked to uh, talk about the bread and the wine, and of course, uh, I had no idea I was supposed to make wine for this morning. So uh, (laughs) that's uh, left me in a tough spot, as they say. But I wanted to share with you that. that uh, for all the years that I've had the honor and privilege of, of taking communion, I, uh, it was impressed upon me many years ago by a, by a Christian mentor that I had who suggested that this is a very, very important moment uh, in your walk with Christ, that, that on every occasion when you take communion, it should be held in very high regard, and, and you should take a moment to consider what that's all about. And I, uh, I certainly agree that, that over the years uh, I've had moments when I've been just filled with the Holy Spirit in terms of, of knowing and understanding the importance of that moment. But I have to admit there's been times when maybe I've not, I've not thought about the power in the moment of communion. And so when I think about, about this morning and I, and I had the opportunity to think about taking the elements and, and, and considering what this all means... And how Christ compared the wine that he had on that Passover evening to the blood that he was about to spill on Calvary's cross. I, I just am in awe of what that truly means. I, I've actually tried to spend time imagining back then into those days. What was it like for the Roman soldiers who were assigned that task? That they were there on that hill guarding those crosses? 
And as they sat there, I wonder about the, the Roman soldier that took the spear and pierced Jesus' side. I wonder what he thought of his job, what he was doing in that moment, where his heart was at. I think about the dark skies and, the, and how it became nighttime on Calvary's hill when Christ died on that cross. What an amazing moment in time. What an incredible gift that the Son of the God of the universe, who could in, a, in its twinkle of an eye, in a lightning bolt strike, remove himself from that cross. He could, he could level Calvary's hill. And instead, on that moment, he died on the cross for a worthless sinner like me and to save the sins of the world. I, I, I think and am in awe of some of those things. And of course, we all know the story. We all have, have heard the story and understand it. I would go all works on that, on that scenario. But I wonder about, I wonder about what was going through the mind of those around him about those disciples, his closest friends, who had gathered together on the Passover meal. I noticed in this whole process that the Bible mentions wine over 200 times in the Bible. And, and, and oftentimes in, the, in the, the, the comments about the wine, there were things such as, such as uh, the merriment and festivities. There were weddings that, were, of course, were celebrated with wine. And, of course, there's, there's an admonishment not to become a drunkard along the way. But on this night, I wonder what the mood was like in that upper room. I wonder, as Jesus was talking about the prophecy that he was there to fulfill, and he was there to talk about his death, did, did the disciples, his friends, did they understand what was going on? Was, was it really something that, that they could comprehend? And as they gathered together on that evening, and they held that tradition for years and years, I wonder if there was anything special about that moment. Did they take special care in preparing for that? Because Jesus told them to go and prepare for the Passover meal. But did they do it in any special way? Knowing that was about to happen, knowing in that moment that everything for all of eternity was going to change. That the rules to, to gain heaven and to gain eternal life was completely about to change. Did they do anything special on that evening? Was there anything that was going to be done in reference and acknowledgement that this was a special night? The disciples, think about them. Think about what they'd seen. Those disciples had seen amazing healings. They saw, they saw unbelievable things that Jesus had done and things that they were walking with Jesus on, on a regular basis. They saw the fishes and the loaves to the thousands of people. They even saw, one of my favorite stories, the story how Jesus had to pay a temple tax for him and his disciples. And what did he do? He sent Peter down with a fishing line and he caught a fish with the exact change. That's pretty cool. I mean, that's, that's almost like doing it because you can. <laughs> It was just amazing when you think about, when you think about what those disciples had seen. And I wonder if in their mind, if they thought, no, 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 Jesus, he shouldn't have to die. We just got welcomed to Jerusalem as a hero welcome, a humble king. People were cheering and, 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 and joyful about all that they had seen. Jesus can't die. 
I just wonder if the disciples could comprehend. Had they, had they thought about the bright, beautiful light that Jesus had brought into the world? Amazing. The hope that Jesus had brought to everybody. What he offered to all of them. Is it possible that the Almighty God would let his son die at the hands of man? And with that, Jesus took that cup and he said, This is my blood of the covenant. And they passed it among them and they sipped from it. But did they understand the eternal, amazing gift that Jesus had just given the world? It's clear for all of eternity, the new covenant had been started. In this time, eternity was offered to all. Those who believed and followed Jesus will have the opportunity to be with him in heaven forever. Christ's blood that was brutally taken from the cross, and he was tortured on that old rugged cross, that blood was spilled for us. I wonder what was on Jesus' mind. What was he thinking about? As he sat there among his friends, amongst his friends, he clearly understood what was next. He knew that around the table, there was one that would betray him. There was another that would deny him. And he also had others that couldn't even stay awake to protect him. I wonder if the God of the universe sat there with mortals and men and thought what a pathetic lot we are. And how on earth would I send my son to die for them? But it's through his love and his grace that he didn't do that. He went through the prophecy. He brought his son to the cross. And his son died for each and every one of us. What a gift. What a precious gift. And so on this occasion, a new tradition was created. A drink that was used in celebration all over the Bible. A drink was used in celebration that evening on the gift that was about to be given to all of us. You see, that gift was that wine representing Jesus' blood. And when you think about that, I wonder about how that, how that grape starts as a blossom. It grows into a grape, it ripens, and somebody takes it from the harvest. And then they brutally crush it until they get all of the juice. And then a master comes along. And the master creates the wine for all to enjoy. Wow. So in this moment, a tiny small sip to symbolize what humanity's gift is, that this is something for all of us. So I think about communion. And I have a chance to break bread. I have a chance to sip the juice that we share. And I wonder, I wonder if I ever, ever humbly enough stop to think about that moment. The dark skies, the pain and suffering of a completely sinless Lord and Savior that came for us. Wow. What a gift. What a gift. And something that every one of us should celebrate and dance. And so, in God choosing wine, what a brilliant, brilliant choice. The choice of celebration. Celebrating of eternal life and 
all that's good. So I wonder, on that evening, was it a special wine? Was it some kind of wine that was held in reserve? Was it dry? I contend it was the sweetest wine ever tasted. Ever tasted? So Jesus said, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. I hope that when you're ready, you'll take the cup today. And I hope that on this occasion, and on every occasion forward, that you'll consider the precious, precious blood and the sweetness of that wine because Jesus loves God bless. Let me just wrap this together because I think it's, it's very, very cool that Jesus took a very ordinary thing, eating and drinking, and painted it with gospel significance. And so we do this thing that we call communion uh, so, that, so that we're reminded of this good news of Jesus with us. Matter of fact, this is how the story reads in Luke chapter 22. Luke was one of Jesus' disciples. This is how he remembered the event. He says in um, uh, chapter 22, verse 7, it says, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had been sacrificed. It says Passover. We, we've heard that word a couple times today, Passover. But to be honest, and I don't want to get too American here, but we could inject the word Thanksgiving. Like, like Passover for them was an annual celebration that was wrapped around family and food and friends. If I was a real pastor, I'd say festivities because then we'd have alliteration there. And, and, and that's what we think when we think Thanksgiving. So I'm okay injecting that word that, that this, this meal that was going to be so significant. It says Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat this Passover. He sent the guys out. They said, hey, where are we going to eat? He said, find a place. Okay, we'll find a Thanksgiving place. It'll be great. It says, where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. And going on to verse 14, it says, when the hour came to eat this meal together, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table. And he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and he said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Whenever you do this, remember me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new gospel in my blood, which is poured out for you. Eating, such a normal experience. And yet God, Jesus in this moment, infused it with gospel significance. No, no longer was bread merely bread, but rather a reminder of God's provision for us, that he would be the sustainer of our lives, that he holds the li- our lives in his hands. And drink was no longer just drink, but rather it was going to be forever a reminder of this new gospel in a culture that was really based on atonement, in other words, making things right between each other and between God using sacrifices. They'd have to take an animal or a thing and they'd have to sacrifice it. See, atonement culture, blood was a normal thing for them. 
Like we think of that, we think that would be really kind of weird. Blood's not normal for us. But, but then when they went to church, blood was part of that process for them. In a, in a culture built on atonement, this new, new gospel said that's unnecessary. It's no longer necessary because Jesus came. He was the someone who once for all paid it forward. Any atoning that I would need to do going forward, Jesus already took care of it. His life, death, and resurrection is the concept of this new gospel. So whatever we eat and we drink, we're reminded about this gospel and the goodness that it declares. In a culture of sacrificing things, Jesus was the better sacrifice. We'd say the best sacrifice. And no more was needed. In our contemporary culture, which is full of things, some very good things, some maybe not such good things, Jesus is still the better. So we think about if we have a bad boss, Jesus really represents a better boss. And if we, if we have a bad spouse, Jesus represents a better spouse. And when we have a bad body, it's broken and it doesn't operate the way that it should and it doesn't feel right, Jesus represents a better future body. I wanted to finish this morning by reading a quote from an author, a theologian named Tim Keller. This is what he says about this whole thing. He says, Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden. His garden was a much tougher garden and his obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood that cries out, but not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answers the call of God, who leaves all the familiar comforts of the world to go into the world, not knowing where he went. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who is not only offered by his father on the mount, but who is truly sacrificed for us all. While God said to Abraham, now I truly know that you love me because you didn't withhold your son, your only son from me. Now we at the foot of the cross can say to God, now we know you love us because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from us. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blows of injustice we deserve so we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace that wake us up and disciple us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who is at the right hand of the king and forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and mediates this new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses, who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. And Jesus is the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer, who then intercedes for and saves his stupid friends. Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes the people's victory, though they didn't lift a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost ultimately the heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but his life, who didn't say, if I perish, I perish, but rather, when I perish, I will perish for them to save my people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so we could be brought in. He's the real Passover lamb. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. We're going to sing one final song, and then we're going to leave here. And my hope is not that we wait until communion a month from now before we remember that. But every time we eat, some of you are probably going to eat three times today. Four, five, 17 high schoolers, boys, 
And every time we eat, we have this opportunity to be reminded how God is our sustainer and brings us this new covenant where we don't have to atone for our own sin, but rather Jesus did it for us.